take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Joshua, chapter 1. Aren't you grateful for the youth band and uh, their leadership with us this morning? Um, They lead every Wednesday night in our uh, youth and uh, do a great job with that, and I'm excited that they were able to share with us this morning. Why don't you show your appreciation to them for uh, leading us this morning? All right, how many of you have started off with a good new year? How many of you had a good 2011 start? It's good. Um, let me tell you, ours uh, started exciting way. We were, uh, you know, I was at Publix on uh, New Year's Eve, and somebody says, you got big party plans tonight? I said, we are going to party with the Wii all night long, right? And so we were playing Wii as the new year was getting ready to come in. We stopped the Wii. We counted down with Dick Clark and Ryan Seacrest, and we hit zero, and Eli announced to everyone, it's the new year, and I'm not tired. Let's play we. I said, no, let's go to bed. All right. So we started good, but it, it kind of was off to a, a little bit of a rocky start this morning. Um, apparently, the iPhone has a glitch. Did, I don't know if you know this or not, but the alarms are not working as the new year has gone. It's the Y2K10 bug. And so this morning, I usually get up on Sunday morning because, you know, we do have an early service. And so I usually get up at, on Sunday morning at about 5.30 to 6 o'clock. I'm usually here by 6 to 6.30. And this morning, Susan hit me and said, well, she didn't say anything. She was trying to be quiet. She just held up the number 7. And I was like, 7? What? And then I realized it was after 7 o'clock, and we had worship starting in about an hour, and I was still in bed. And so... If you've got an iPhone, just know that if you've got to go to work tomorrow, you need to use a different uh, alarm clock, apparently. So mine didn't start off real great this morning. It's been kind of rushed through here. But it is the new year. One of the things you do in the new year is you make resolutions. How many of you made resolutions this year? Okay, there are a few of us. You know, in the first, the first service, there were only four. Four people, that's it. I felt lonely because I actually made some resolutions this year. And so... Uh, if you made resolutions this year, this is what I want you to do. If there are ones you feel comfortable sharing, okay, we won't do that. All right, here's what I want to do, all right? Turn around, tell the people around you. I want you to think of what you think. I've got a list of the top ten resolutions Americans make. So I want you to turn around, find somebody around you, tell them top ten. Do you just name two or three that you think are on the top of the list that Americans make, all right? All right, we're going we're gonna to see how many of these we can name, okay? And so, uh, in your group, uh, is your kind of your group what you came up with? Somebody tell me something that you think is on the list, top ten. Lose weight, lose weight's on there. Donate to charity is not, but it's a good resolution, Sydney. Quit smoking is on there. Don't drink Coke is not on there. Amen, Russell Wright from our coca-cola man yes matt what no facebook that's that's not on there but that's a good one too all right get out of debt there you go that's good lucy what go green not on there casey but that's good y'all got some good ones they're just not people in america don't care apparently exercise there we go all right. Anything else y'all got? Get organized. That's on there. Anybody who's in the first service disqualified. All right. Go to church. Not on there, but a good one. 
All right, here are the top ten. I'm going to count them down, okay? Number ten is get organized. Number nine is help others. That's kind of donate to charity. We'll give you that, Sydney. Number eight, learn something new. Number seven, get out of debt. Number six, quit drinking. It's a Baptist church. We can't talk about that. Number five, enjoy life more. Number four, quit smoking. Number three, lose weight. Number two, exercise regularly. I like how there's no definition there. Regularly could be once every three months. That's a regular appointment. And then number one that nobody said is spend more time with family and or friends. All right? And so those are the top ten. Now, uh, how many of you have ever made any of those resolutions? I want to ask you I won't ask you which one, but any of those, all right? Most of us have. Now, I was a guy that decided I was not going to make New Year's resolutions. I just wasn't going to do it this year. And then I began studying for this sermon, and I'm reading through some things, studying as God has led me, and God kind of convicted me a little bit. He said, why don't you set resolutions? And you know what my answer was? Because I break them. I have this tendency not to keep them. And God kind of just spoke into me and said, so is the problem with the resolution or with the resolution keeper? Resolutions aren't bad. They've kind of gotten a reputation of, well, you just make them. You know, I mean, uh, I thought my brother-in-law who works out a lot says he was not going to go to the gym for the first month and a half. He's going to let all those people that make resolutions go, and then he'll start back in February. You know, because it gets crowded in January, and we, we kind of make fun of all of that. But the truth is setting goals, looking ambitious for what God has for you is a good thing. And this morning in Joshua chapter 1, one of my favorite passages of Scripture was the I've preached on it a couple of times. I just love this passage of Scripture because of what it says. We're going to see what it takes to attain God's 2011 for you. You see, when I looked over that list and I was studying, another thing God kind of said to me is, the problem with these resolutions aren't that they're bad. I mean, there was nothing bad in there, right? There were no bad resolutions. Nobody wants to spend less time with their family. There's no bad resolution. He said, the problem is these resolutions shoot way too low. That they're just trying to correct behaviors. But that God intends for us to have resolutions and goals that are things we cannot accomplish on our own. He intends for us to pursue Him and His dreams and His plans and His goals for us are bigger and higher and better and more wonderful than we can ask or imagine. God said to me, I want to do in your life and in the life of the people that you're going to be speaking to, to your congregation, to you. I want to do more than they can think right now. And that's why he took me to Joshua. Because here's a guy who's been kind of second in command for a while. And God had done amazing things. Who was the guy before Joshua? It was Moses, right? Moses is kind of a big deal in the Bible. He had the plagues, right? The took his staff, it turned into a snake. He could pick it back up, it's back to his staff. He splits the Red Sea. He gets the commandments of God. He comes down from his time with God and his face is shining. I mean, he's a pretty big deal in the Bible. And he carries these people, leads them for years as they're wandering around in the wilderness. And then Moses dies because all people die. And you get to Joshua chapter 1, and as Joshua is now ready to take control, God doesn't say, all right, let's take a little break. 
Let everybody settle down from the death of Moses, and then we'll talk about the agenda coming up in the future. No, at the very moment that Moses died, God says, Moses is dead. It's time to go. And my guess is that Joshua was a little concerned. My guess is that Joshua was a little worried about what was going on. And I can just imagine the conversation that precedes this one. Because I believe that Joshua chapter 1 starts as an answer to a prayer of Joshua. That Joshua said, God, now what? God, where do we go now? God, I need direction. And God responds, well, Moses is dead, and it's your turn. Now, directions are very important, right? But what's more important than directions is getting the right direction. I read about a guy, there's a CNN story several years ago, who was going to see his girlfriend in Sydney, Australia. And so he made his reservations online, he got on the plane, he went to his destination and ended up in Sydney, Montana. He spelled Sydney wrong when making the reservation online, spelled it S-I-D-N-E-Y, and he ended up in Montana rather than Australia. Probably a little disappointed, right? So it's important to know we're going the right direction. And what we're going to do today is read Joshua 1 and then look at four things real quickly. If you've got an order of service, actually in the middle of your order of service today, there's an outline. We're going to go through that. It won't be on the screen, but you can just kind of fill it in as we go, all right? Joshua chapter 1. It says, After the death of the Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant. Do you think Moses is kind of important here in the first verse? It's mentioned three times there. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give you to the Israelites. I'll give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the Great River, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Great Sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my Moses, my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or left that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. I'll give you four things out of this passage as you look into that year, 2011. Let me encourage you to this. I want you to think about these four things in relationship to this question. What is God calling you to do in 2011 that there is absolutely no way you can do? What is God calling you to do in 2011 that there is absolutely no way you can do? Because think of the task God's calling Joshua to. Where had these Israelites been for the last 40 years? Wandering around, right? Surviving day to day. Wandering in a wilderness, in a desert, if you will. And as they're surviving day to day, I don't think the first thing on their mind is, how do we attack another nation? 
And so Moses dies. Joshua, who probably in his mind thought, all right, now is the time to begin to prepare. That generation has died off. Remember, God said no part of that generation can go into the promised land. He says now is the time that it's for us to look forward and to get trained up and ready to go. But God says, no, it's time to go now. And you're going to take an untrained group of people who have never really fought battles in their life, and you're going to conquer a land filled with some of the most well-trained and well-fortified places in the world. What is God calling you to do in 2011 that you absolutely cannot do? Four things. The first thing is this. In relation to that question is, you've got to learn to live with your back to the past. This first whole sentence encapsulates what Joshua was facing as far as the past is concerned. How does, how does uh, God describe Moses? He says, Moses, my servant. That's a word that means that he was a follower of God, that he did what God asked, that he listened to God, that he obeyed God, that he was a believer in God. It means that he was his chosen one, his instrument. He was the judge. He was the prophet. He was the priest. He was the leader of a nation of a couple of million, and they looked to him for everything. Now, how does Joshua describe himself in verse 1? The son of none. Now, I know it's kind of a pun to say this, but Joshua probably felt like the son of no one. The son of none. He felt like, look at Moses. For 40 years, he has been the picture of leadership. Saying the right things in the right ways. Being angry when God called him to be angry. Being protective when God called him to be protective doing what God called him to do, and now it's my turn. And God quickly says in verse 2, he says to Joshua, he's dead. In other words, that's in the past. It's over. You get ready to go into the future. It's real easy to live in the past in one of two ways. One is if you've had a real good past and your life now is pretty crummy. And you remember back to when it was good, when the family was together or when you had more joy in your life or when the kids were at home or when the kids were younger or when uh, you were younger, when you didn't have as much responsibility. It's good to, it's easy to live in the past when it's good. It's also easy to live in the past when it's full of bad, regret and guilt and shame and remorse. And it's easy to look into the past and say, Boy, I I wish I could change that, or I I wish I could do that differently. And so it's easy on both ways to live in the past. And here's what I want to tell you. It's never wrong to evaluate the past, but it is wrong to live there. It's not wrong to look back and say, "I, I, I made some mistakes back then. How can I correct them now? It's wrong to dwell on what happened then. That doesn't mean there aren't going to be hurt and anger and anguish in difficulty. I mean, some of you had a great 2010. Some of you had a wonderful one. Your job improved in the midst of a terrible economy. Yours went pretty good. Your family added or had closeness in your family like you haven't had. You had success in places you haven't experienced. It was a great 2010. And for you, almost, there's a little bit of concern about turning the calendar to 2011. But for some of you, 
2010 was junk. There was relationships and finances and life changes. It was interesting to watch the statuses on Facebook on New Year's Eve from people from all over that I've known from Dyersburg and Jackson and Fort Worth and Ripley and here. And there were a lot of people that said, to 2010, good riddance. And you can't let that stuff carry over into God's plan for you now. And so you live with the past at your back, not denying it exists, but looking forward to what God has. In fact, God would say to him, don't forget some things in the past. Just use them in the future. One of those things that God would say, and the second thing I would say to you is not only to live with your back to the past, but you need to remember the continuing presence of God. Remember the continuing presence of God. The most frequent promise, I've told you this before, in the Bible is that God is with us, that He is always around. I mean, if you just look in the Bible, God told Adam and Eve He would be with them. Enoch, He talked about being with them, and then took Enoch to be with Him. Abraham and Sarah, He promised His presence. Jacob, He promised. Joseph, He promised. Moses, He said, I will go with you. And Moses says, if you're not going, I don't want to go. And God says, I'll be with you. David, He promised us His presence, and that David, in the end, would get to live in the house of the Lord forever. Amos, He promised the presence of Himself to Amos and the people. Mary had the promise of God's presence. Paul had the promise of God's presence. Even some of the most famous scriptures in the Bible talk about it. Uh, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Uh, the Great Commission, uh, you will be my witnesses in, uh, all, all to the ends of the earth. And lo, I am with you always. I love how Matthew twenty-eight twenty in the message says that. He says, I will be with you as you do this, day after day after day, right up to the end of the age. Even what we just celebrated in Christmas, one of the names we talk about is Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. Now, the reason that was important was exactly because God was calling Joshua to an impossible task on his own. And he says to Joshua, I'm with you. And I want to tell you one of the most bold statements in Scripture from God. God looks at Joshua and he says, I will be with you even or just as I was with Moses. I am with you. Here's the amazing thing for you and I. Because sometimes we look at these Scriptures and we think of Abraham and Sarah and we think of Moses and Joshua and Jesus even talking to the apostles and Peter and Paul. and We think, man, God was with them. I believe God would say to us today, I will be with you just as I was with Moses. I was with Joshua. No matter what you are going through or what challenges you face, I will be with you. The reason that's important is because Scripture teaches us if God is for us, then no one can stand against us. No one. When I was growing up, we lived uh, 
we lived on a little subdivision. It was on the outskirts of Dyersburg. It's called Rose Drive Subdivision. And we played sports every day. Baseball in the summer, football in the fall and winter, till it got baseball season again. We played primarily two sports, but occasionally we would break out, and I've told you this before, for our wrestling matches. Um, we had full uh, wrestling mat with turnbuckles and ropes. And we had the full deal. It was in the woods where our parents didn't know it was, and we would go out there and fight. My brother was the Rose Drive heavyweight champion. I was the Rose Drive light heavyweight champion. I was five and a half years younger than my brother. And uh, Brian used to uh, tell me, you'll never lose your belt. Once I won, and I I had one fight. It was quick because my brother was the referee, and I won. He says, you'll never lose your belt, and you'll never have to fight again. Because his rules were, he was the commissioner as well as the champ. His rules were, in order to get to Lyle, you got to go through me. So if you want to fight Lyle, you got to come through me. I was reading this this week, and I don't know why God brings those kind of things back to mind. But God just kind of said, the point is, when you are living according to what I've called you to do, when people want to get to you, they got to go through me. That's what it means that God is for us. And when he's for us and with us, we can accomplish whatever he has called us to do. I'll tell you this, that whatever he has called us to do will be important and big and meaningful in our lives. So the first thing we do is that we live with our back to the past, and then we remember his continuing presence. Here's the third thing. We rest on the promises of God, the assured promises of God. God kind of looks at him and he says, I'm going to give you the land that I promised you I would give you. Just as I promised Moses, I'm going to give you this land. So we can live in the promises of God. Now, let me just tell you this. There are no promises of God that you will make a million bucks this year. There are no promises of God that you will remain completely healthy this year. There are no promises of God that good luck will follow you all the days of your life this year. Anybody here do the New Year's Day tradition of eating certain things? Black-eyed peas, some sort of greens, cabbage or something, and hog jowl, right? How many do hog jowl in here? Let me see. What do you do hog jowl for? You do hog jowl for health. That's right. You eat a big piece of hog fat for health, all right? Makes perfect sense, right? Well, last year, we did the whole meal. We did the hog jowl. We fried up some hog jowl. It tastes good. Whether it's healthy or not, it tastes good. We did hog jowl. We did black-eyed peas. We did some greens. We did the whole deal. In January, we had to replace our heating and air conditioning. In uh, summertime, we had to replace the air in our van. We had a microwave go out. We had a dishwasher that's a year and a half old, lose a motor. Um, we've, we've had several unexpected expenses over the year. Do you know what we did yesterday? We had pizza, all right? We didn't eat black-eyed peas and hog jowl, all right? Now, here's the point. Is that stuff bring you blessings in the new year? No. Now, you don't tell my grandmother I told you that, but no, all right? That stuff didn't bring you blessings. And the truth is... God doesn't bless us like we want to be blessed sometimes. But he has given us some promises that we can hold on to. 
besides the presence of his, he's promised us that he has a plan for us. That there is a plan to prosper and not to harm. That his plan is to do exceedingly abundantly above what we can ask or imagine. That he has a plan for us. Secondly, that he will empower us with that plan. If we are in his will, if we are doing what he commands, then he will give us the power to accomplish whatever he tells us he needs us to do. And not only that, he says he is in charge of the results. So God has a plan. He'll give you the power to accomplish it. And then it is his job for the results. It sounds to me like all we have to do is show up and do what he asks us to do. That's it. Just show up. In this passage following this, Joshua begins to go into these towns. and Jericho is the most well-fortified town in all of the world that we can tell at that time. Walls, huge walls, thick walls, army. It was a greatly fortified town. And what does God tell him to do? To march around it and blow some trumpets. That's it. God had a plan. God gave him the power to march. And then God had the results. Here's the thing. From all of us in this room, if we are believers in Jesus Christ, followers of him, He has a plan and a purpose for us that if we knew it fully would scare us to death. And for 2011, he's called you to be more than you've ever been in him and to do more than you've ever done in him. The question is whether you're going to show up and just follow him. I tell people that go on mission trips, that just going on the mission trip almost guarantees results. Because Scripture has told us that He has called us to go. Scripture has told us He wants His message proclaimed. Scripture has told us it is His desire that all men come to know Him as Savior. And so when we just go and do what He's already told us He will bless, we will be in the center of his will doing what he's called us to accomplish. Does that mean it'll be easy? Absolutely not. Does that mean we won't get sick? Absolutely not. But it means his will will be accomplished. When we show up in Porto Seguro, Brazil, and we begin to share the gospel with people and they begin to respond, it's not because we're really good at it. Believe me, it's not because we're really good at it. It's because God has already worked there and we're just being obedient and we're along for the ride. God is calling some of you this year to step out of your comfort zone. Do you realize that these Israelites had gotten comfortable wandering in the wilderness? And he's called you to share your faith with a co-worker that you know doesn't know who Jesus Christ is. He's called you to give sacrificially like you've never given before. He's called you to go to Brazil or New York City. He's called you to support what's happening in Chile or go to Lynch. He's called you to give up some things that are holding you back from following him more completely. He's called you to do that. The question is, are you going to trust in the promises that he'll carry you through? The last thing is this. Follow the conditions of God. He tells Joshua, not only am I with you, not only do I have a plan, not am I going to take care of it, but then he says, be strong. And you notice he says, be strong and courageous several times. He says one of those times, be strong and courageous. I was doing uh, 
this devotional last night with Eli. We were reading through this with Eli and Luke. And um, as we were doing that, uh, I was reading out the Holman Christian Standard Bible. And um, it says, I love the way it put it. In that middle part of this opening section, it said, Be strong and courageous in keeping the commands that I gave unto Moses. See, sometimes we think strong and courageous is separated from that. But the point is, I've given you all these commands. Be strong and courageous in keeping them. This week I read something that talked about the courageous decisions we make every day, whether to compromise or not compromise our faith, whether to admit a mistake or cover it up, whether to acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord or cower when people start talking against him, the daily decisions we make, whether we show courage or not. And what he says is, one of the most striking ways you can be courageous is to be obedient to what I've called you to do. Some of you in this room were part of our group that read through the Bible last year in 2010. I'm actually starting again in the chronological Bible. We're going to read through the chronological Bible. Um, one of the things that God convicted me of as I was preparing for this was to... Um, was to write about that a little bit and to do that online. And so I'm going to be, uh, as part of what God's called me to do, I'm going to be uh, putting that online in my blog and doing some things. And so uh, if you would like to do that, you can read along and, and join in the conversation there. We're going to be doing that. If you need some help getting a chronological Bible, uh, we can help you with that or the reading plan. But God kind of spoke to me and said, you know, you read through the Bible in 2010. You read from cover to cover. Genesis to Revelation, you read Psalms twice. You read the book and then God just kind of spoke to my heart and said would you be courageous in doing what you learned in 2011 it's not enough just to know but would you do so my challenge for you is that question I asked earlier what is God calling you to do in 2011 that you absolutely cannot do on your own would you be strong and courageous enough to step into this year with your back to the past, trusting in the continuing presence of God, believing in the promises He's given, and doing what He calls you to do so that you might accomplish that will that is more than we can ask or imagine?